Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 378 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Scott Corelli and Kevin Winicky of Wemo Games about their RPG dungeon crawler, RPG Dice, Heroes of Whitestone. We don't often feature mobile games on The Sausage Factory, which is... It's all right, is it? And I deliberately had Scott and Kevin on to talk about RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone because it really is you know, free to play, I've got to say, uh, RPG game on mobile. And I hadn't played one for many, many, many years. And I had no idea how advanced and deep they've become. Um, some of the better ones, and definitely RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone is definitely one of the better ones. And uh, more than that, it's great. Beautiful game. It's lush. The colours and the animation pop out of the screen. I was blown away by what I saw. I had no idea that mobile games had turned into this. So that's why I was really excited that Scott and Kevin have a good old chat about the design of RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone. So without further ado, let's listen to me from the recent past talk to Kevin and Scott about RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone. Chris, take it away. Scott and Kevin. Hello, hello. hello. Who are you and what do you do? Who are we? All right, uh, Kevin, you want to start or should I take this off first? All right, why don't you do that, sir? Yeah. All right, cool, cool. Uh, my name is Scott Corrali. I am the design director at Wemo Games. And really all that means is I get to have a lot of fun working with Every team, all the designers, all the disciplines working on all the projects that are currently under our umbrella. So I'm creatively involved in basically everything that we're doing. Right. Yeah, and 
Oh, um, well, I'm Kevin Winicky, and I'm the lead designer on um, Heroes of Whitestone. And um, uh, I report to Scott, so I always have to watch what I say around him, of course. But he's a good guy, so that's okay. <laughs> but um, but uh, my day-to-day responsibilities are just this project, uh, RPG Dice, you know, Heroes of Whitestone. And um, I oversee uh, all of the design and... Um, um, just kind of natural uh, job responsibilities kind of lend towards more of a project director as well. So it's it's I see a lot of um, make a lot of the day to day decisions on the game. Don't play you know don't play your role, sir. Not just this. Good heavens, <laughs> we'll, we'll be we'll be delving into details about Heroes of Whitestone, everyone. He is everything. He is the funnel on uh, on RPG dice. So yeah, he's, he's yeah, 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 playing yeah. a little bit. So yeah, a lot so, of sleepless nights. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I can only only imagine. So uh, so we would sort of alternate between you two in, in these questions. So the next uh, next one, question number two is this: Scott, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? That's interesting, actually. So I. I originally started in the art discipline. I was focused on, uh, I wasn't even sure I'd be in games, to be honest. I was kind of gunning for film. I was into shading and lighting and just working on, you know, materials for models and whatnot. And I ended up kind of falling into my first game job. And I started as an environment artist, which was a pretty good fit for what I was doing at the time. And over the course of my first couple games that I was working on, there was more and more scripting that had to be done, more gameplay integration. Just we were working on shooters at the time. So like, you know, setting up what are the people you're fighting against? Where do the combatants spawn? Where what are the paths they run on? And the other artists on the team didn't really have much interest in that. They just wanted to focus on art. And I was having a lot of fun, you know, integrating the gameplay stuff. And just slowly but surely I started letting go of the art tasks and taking more and more of the design tasks. And that was kind of a turning point. You know, at a certain at a certain point, we finished one game we were on and we started the next one and a design lead type position opened up and I I took it and never looked back. And so I've been in, in game design ever since. Yeah, but it's it's quite interesting. That's all sort of background is that, you know, you were working on. And we do hear that a lot on this show where. Uh, guests say, yeah, I started out in film or I wanted to go in film, but then I found myself drifting into this other very interesting and odd medium, which people still don't quite understand. <laughs> and um, and you know, you've been on long for the ride for, for quite some time. And um, sure. find yourself sort of like, yeah, I, yes, clearly you have a passion for art as, as demonstrated by RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone, which is what we're here to talk about. And it is a beautiful game. We'll talk about it later. Um, but, Thank you very much. Yeah, so obviously your your sensibilities haven't lost there, if I may say. If you if you did point at a screen and go, yeah, that's great, but could you make that bit blue? Awesome. <laughs> wow, it's like you know exactly the things that I say. That's, that's spot on. It's perfect. <laughs> at least you say it with empathy, though, because you know when you say that, you know how much effort is spent having to do that. Of course. <laughs> it's like, are we really sure about that shadow? I'm like, yeah, actually, no, you're right. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> okay. Well, what about you, Kevin? How did you make your start uh, in this the, the realm of video game creation? So I, um, I entered in a slightly different way. I originally went to a tech school 
um, for, you know, engineering. Um, and uh, I always wanted, I just wanted to turn it into game making. But uh, as it quickly became apparent, I was pretty lousy at it. <laughs> just a, a term or two in and I was just not having it. I didn't understand it. And so I actually um, ended up getting a degree in archaeology at, um, uh, at Oregon State University. And uh, when I graduated, um, there wasn't many opportunities out there. And so I kind of was like, well, I got nothing to lose. And I found a local video game maker and I just applied to them. And, you know, they kind of brought me in for an interview and asked me a bunch of questions. And I just embellished a bit on my experience, which was non-existent. But um, so they, they actually um, they rejected me. But then I called them back and I said, you know what, this is I, I want you to reconsider. This is my dream job. This is what I want to do. Uh, it's all I live and breathe and think about. Uh, I will be your best employee and I will work for free full time. And um, I think they liked that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they actually, they did reconsider and they put me into what was known as, you know, a, I think it, I was called a uh, production assistant or something. I can't remember the title, but they were like, I don't know, I'll just find something for him to do, you know? And I started just with the, the really low level, anything that needs to be done that nobody wanted to do. And I was actually doing little um, uh, lip sync technology. I was manually keyframing all of the lip sync to spoken dialogue in the game because it looked better if a human did it rather than the AI generation. And so I did like, you know, dozens of hours of this stuff and um, eventually started poking my head into uh, design meetings and offering my opinions. And I must have, you know, uh, impressed a few people because they gave me a junior design position and kind of just started building it from there. Yes, it's really, imp I mean, I'm getting the trend from both of you here is that you never actually did as you were told. And that's how where you are now, because you was like, yes, I'm. Yeah, well, I'm going to do a thing. It's like, actually, I much prefer to do this thing, so I'm going to. It's a to. really good way to summarize it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something I actually advise many. It's like, you know, just uh, people actually want you to take the initiative, but people don't really understand what that means because right. um, it does involve risk. And we are yeah, absolutely trained to avoid it because of, you know, we're, we're, we're primates and we don't like being attacked by saber-toothed tigers, and that's all about risk. However, if you don't do that, then you don't actually grow. It's odd, and it sounds a bit damning, but it's true. And I've found this out many a, for many a yeah. times, just not realising that there's an opportunity here, but you need to recognise it. And it sounds like both of you did that. Um, and you probably continue to do that, because if you don't, you know what happens. So, But yeah, it's just spotting I opportunities and exploiting that. I, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's, I mean, that's an, we, we deal with that all the time. I mean, mm. when you have a creative type driven profession, um, a lot of what you do is subjective in nature. And when you feel very strongly about something and you need to convince other people it's a really good idea, you have to be persuasive and you're definitely taking a risk. If you finish your big pitch to a really big, you know, quiet, empty room, and you saw see a lot of puzzled looks on people's faces. Yeah, you just took a big risk, you know. Yep. Um, but uh, 
uh, you know, and it can fall flat and you got to swallow that and carry on. But when it goes right, it feels really good that everyone thought, you know, your original idea or whatever is, is wonderful and it makes the product a lot better. Yeah, it, it makes it worth it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lessons for life, everyone. That's what you're coming for the show, right? <laughs> but it's, it's no, it doesn't matter actually what you do in many regards. It doesn't matter, but a lot of professions and fields could do benefit from this way of working and thinking. So, yeah, kind of do as you're told, but that's not what we asked, we hired you to do. <laughs> but we don't tell you that. We kind of try to, right. but then we make a mess of it. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's interesting. Right. Next question, and this is known as the dreaded third question because it's a bit, uh -oh. yeah, it's a bit nebulous. It's a bit open-ended, difficult to pin down, and there's many, many different ways to interpret it. But you are creators, and I have to ask you this question because you are creators of things. And you can answer this individually, or you can answer it in, as part of the studio, represent the studio, Wemo Games. But... Um, what are your biggest influences as creators? Huh. Well, I mean, I'll start. I mean, for, as you said, we are creators. And, and one thing that you can't help but do is be influenced by the things that you enjoy and the things that you experience on your own. And to be, to be good at this field, at this discipline, you have to love playing games and love and not just games like so many different media entertainments movies film tv shows games like normally you see this as a very common trend of especially game designers is that we take in a lot of entertainment and we play a lot of games not just on mobile you know i we were specializing in mobile games at wemo games but we play everything you know because it's really important to kind of see everything that's out there and so you can't help but be shaped by it so, I mean, I'm, I'm personally influenced a ton by just the things that I like to play, the hobbies that I have, uh, cool moments and, and experience I've had from, from movies and film. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's definitely a big, big part of it. And then being able to take that and, you know, nobody wants to just copy something that they've, that they've experienced or seen. You want to, you want to fix it. You know, that's something that game designers are really, really big on is like, I can do this a little bit better. I can do this a little, in a slightly cooler way. And that's a lot of what it comes down to is experiencing something that you say, this was really fun, but wouldn't it be cool if, and then that leads to a new idea and that could become a whole new game. Well, yes, I really can relate to that. The amount of times I've read a book or seen a, a film or TV show or something and I go, well, that's a take they could have gone. <laughs> mm -hmm. But what if they went this way? And exactly. Yeah. That's where that creativity comes from. It's not, you know, there's nothing new under the sun is a phrase that's, I know it's muttered throughout all creative industries, not just video games, but especially uh, video games. I mean, have we really advanced from Pong? Well, yes, right. of course we have, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, you are inspired by other people, which is where this come, this question comes from, but also understanding, you know, the more nuance or the understanding of what other aspects of things that you were influenced by. But it's, yeah, a wonderful way of putting it. The, the, I mean, I just finished watching The Expanse, which is a, a, a wonderful TV show, and it's, I'm happy that it had a beginning, middle, and end. It's lovely, not not usual, and uh, it ended well, I think, and no spoilers, of course. And there's a show that you go, well, they did go that way with that. However, right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and for, uh, one of the earliest memories I have of that is really 
uh, the the well, not to say earliest, but I do remember not liking the end of Battlestar Galactica. And they could have gone a completely different way on that one, and there was lots of you know lots of uh, chomping at the bit on that one. But uh, no, fantastic response. What about you, Kevin? Do you, anything you want to add to that? Do you, do, is that um, is that kind of where your where your brain comes from when it comes to lobbing, locking onto something and going? Well, I'm always being fed by that thing. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely plus one that, um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, I, I, get inspired by a lot of different things, um, music, movies, books, uh, tabletop RPGs or experiences with friends, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, one thing that I always like to try to inject in any game that I'm working on, if it's, if it's possible, I'll try it. Right. And, um, one thing that I really like is, um, choice, and the ability for the player to play the game their way. Um, and uh, the kind of things that go through your head as a player, like, you know, I wonder if I could do this and that and then this, and maybe, you know, that could happen. Let me try it. That's the good stuff for me. That's what I'm really after. That's what I really love in gaming personally. And I try to put that into the games that I, you know, that I uh, make and um, that that's the more specific thing that always drives me. I always come back to that player choice and, you know, planning. Is there something that you can execute on? Can I try this? You know, experimentation. I love that stuff. Right. And it's one of the strengths of the medium, isn't it? Because most others is linear, especially fiction. Or isn't anything wrong with that? Um, Or or most other mediums do not have that ability to manipulate what's going on in front of you it's one of its one of its one of the appeals of video games um although you could argue um board games and tabletop games are also a medium but that's another discussion sure. <laughs> I, I mean i actually i came into tabletop gaming much later in life and was amazed at how much potential there is in like like the crossover between a game designer and like you know, a player of uh, tabletop uh, RPGs. It's it was incredible, and I was like, man, this is so cool. Mm, yeah, yeah. The, 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 also, the, both the bonus or the the, the the boost of create of like choice, but also being crippled mm-hmm. by choice because as as a as a I, I run a lot of games. I'm a I'm a DM so GM, and sitting behind that screen, and one of the most terrifying questions you can ask, especially especially a new player, is what would you like to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you've been there. <laughs> you just, I've done big exposition, and I go, "Okay, that's it. Now we're going to do." And it's like, um, yeah. go on. Oh wait, you, you can't do that. I didn't prep for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I never say no. I say, <laughs> I say yes, but <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yes, but, yes, but. <laughs> consequences, everyone. Consequences. <laughs> so. Next question. This is similarly difficult. So, like, you know, we're kind of ramping up. There's a mini boss in the middle of this. this oh, we've made it to question four. Here we go. We made go. it to question four. Here we go. Um, and again, this could be, I think this is more of an individual, personal thing. But um, you're not living in a bubble. Of course you're not. I and mean, it's one of the strengths of the video game industry is that you're not living in a bubble. If you do, you, it, you falter. So, I'm going to ask you this What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? And it could be a person or a, or a or a studio. Interesting. 
I can actually go first if you want, uh, Scott. Yeah, go for it. Um, one of the um, the creators that I've always admired, uh, you know, from afar is actually Warren Spector. Um, he was uh, the creator of the Deus Ex uh, video games, um, and it's pretty much precisely the what I was speaking of earlier, like the the choice, you know, like Deus Ex was like it was a first person shooter, but it was also an RPG, and is pretty much one of the first games that I happened to play that wasn't just you solve problems by kicking down the door and having a really big gun and blowing everyone away. Like, you know, it, it wasn't played that way. You you could, but if you wanted to, but you could also sneak in through the air vents and, you know, you could hack the security sentries and turn them against the enemies, or you could go in real, you know, quiet like and sleep everybody with little sleep darts, you know. You kill the final boss in the game if you learned their, like, certain code and you would speak it out and they just bleh, they just died because you went through all the trouble to find you know the yes. data files and the hacking and all yes, that stuff yes and it was very very cool and i was like yeah i love it because i wanted to play it again as soon as i was done and i wanted to do the other things that i didn't do mm. and so that was influential to me and um you know other uh, game makers subscribe to the same types of things but uh, that, that was powerful for me i liked that it was I was chatting to a friend about how people don't often talk about the late 90s, early 2000s as a game period, but it was very, very important. I don't know why people don't really talk about it. It feels like a this black hole, but there was a period when extraordinary things were happening. This is like Metal Gear Solid that appeared. Yeah. Then you had Half-Life and, and you know, and you had, it was, a, you know, there's Baldur's Gate. It's just ridiculous. But it's really, really cool design ideas with usually terrible UIs. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yes. That's why. <laughs> you just go, if only you were so impenetrable <laughs> to get. Right, exactly. Done. What about yourself, Scott? Now you had some sort of time to think about what, who do you point at and go, you there, carry on doing what you're doing. You're great. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> so, if I had to pick one thing that has incredibly influenced and shaped me, and it's, you know, for better or worse, this is a, a particular niche of a hobby that I've had for as long as I can remember going back to even before college. And that's going to be Games Workshop games. Um, so not even video games related yet, because when I first got into this, it was all just tabletop. But I started off playing Necromunda. I then got into Mordheim. I finally made it to Warhammer 40K. But those games that I played, that I didn't even know that I was a game designer back then, that I was going to be a game designer. But I was... I was the rules guy. You know, I was all of our friends wanted to get together and play this game. But if I wasn't there, it wouldn't happen because no one else could be bothered to learn all these intricate rules with all the different things you have to do to play an actual game of Warhammer 40K. So I, I love getting into the rule sets. I love seeing how it was all built. And I just had so much fun playing this game with my friends. And so that was a very formative time for me because I had at that point in time, you know, pre-college, during college, I had no idea I was going to get into the games industry or that I was going to be trying to mechanics or features to get people to come together and, and collaborate and have fun together. But experiencing those things every weekend and actually, if I'm not lying, every weekday as well, you know, I, I played so much of that with my friends that that was really ingrained in me. And there's a lot of features and mechanics that we all still enjoy and play today that I can point back to things that I experienced in those tabletop games that are being borrowed from very heavily. Uh, I still play Blood Bowl almost religiously. It's a game I've been playing for over 20 years now. 
Um, I'm not sure if you know what that is. It's still pretty niche, but it's just very a lot of influences from Games Workshop that I just carry with me even to this day and that I still play. I just can't kind of shake it. I just really, really love those experiences. No, oh, that's a fantastic response. I've been playing Blood Bowl since first edition, so you're you're oh yes, you're amongst friends. I knew, I knew um, that was the reason I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have 2016 edition, but I didn't get the next one along. Um, and it's a fantastic game. I love Blood Bowl Team Manager. This is a wonderful deck building game that uh, Fantasy Flight released a few years back. Um, yeah. But yeah, what I a have fan- it. yeah, what a fantastic response. Like Games Workshop, of course. You know, I'm actually running Enemy Within, which is a Warhammer fantasy roleplay um, campaign. It's world-renowned. It's like it's hmm. the campaign you have to play at least once in your life kind of thing. Um, That's cool. It's an amazing experience. And, you know, that's, they, we've got a lot to thank for them. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful... Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. Of course, yeah, Games Workshop. They've been doing this for 30, 40 years now. I think it's 40 years, maybe more. Because um, yeah. they brought Dungeons and Dragons into the UK, uh, thanks to them. That's, you know, I, I found myself in front of a little green, oh, sorry, red box. Like, what the hell there is you this? go. So, yeah, good answer, good shout. Last question then in the first half. See, you made it. There you go. This is it. We're at the boss. So here we go. Right. And this Here's one. Gear check. Here we go. Again, this is related to the not living in a bubble. But I think you've answered this already, kind of. So, what are you playing right now? All right, well, I'm, I, I guess I'll go first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so I've, uh, you know, obviously we specialize in mobile games, so we play a lot of mobile games for research and for fun. I started playing a particular game that I'm, I'm just going to say I'm very hooked. Uh, and I started playing it for research about two and a half months ago, and I still play it probably... I'd say with all my check-ins for the day, I'm probably over two hours a day, which that's you know that's pretty darn good engagement uh, yeah, for this game. But uh, I'm playing Cookie Run Kingdom, which okay. is a really really well-made RPG that is wrapped in a disgustingly cute art theme. And so the reason I wanted to check it out is I just couldn't see how the audience that would be attracted to this super cute gingerbread style game would be willing to jump through all the hoops and learn all the complicated mechanics that come along with an RPG, but somehow it all works and it's, it's a brilliant game. And like we mentioned earlier, this is how you stay on top of, of your game. you got to make sure you're out there experiencing everything there is out there. Mm. So, you know, Kevin and I play a ton of RPGs. And so this one started as a research experiment and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And so I, I play that every day and it's, it's a great game. Nice. Kevin, what's distracting you for a moment from what you're supposed to do? Um, <laughs> well, so I, I picked up a couple games on the uh, the, the Steam sale, of course. Oh, nice. Uh, of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. And one was a little uh, indie game called Horizons Edge, and I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, it was a little kind of 8, 8-bit retro graphic style, but it was like a little turn-based um, game, and uh, I really like turn-based strategy. And uh, it was about sailing around... Uh, getting a bunch of goods at one port, sailing halfway around the world and selling it at another port. So there was a little bit of economic kind of gameplay in there. And um, so that was fun. And I recently beat that. And I decided to uh, fire up my PlayStation VR and get that going recently. So I, uh, last night I was 
I was uh, playing everybody's golf VR and uh, learning how to sink some nice. putts <laughs> in uh, VR. So that was fun. But yeah, I've also played a lot of um, Raid Shadow Legends and AFK Arena. Uh, I enjoy those games quite a bit. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm loving the fact that VR has, has taken off. It, it could have faltered and fell out of its face, but it didn't. Um, it's been a slow burn, but it's... Mm. Um, it's it's getting i mean suddenly it's a lot more available there's yeah yeah there's 10 million quest 2s out there and i think there's how many playstation 4s and 5s and yeah it's really it's not so niche anymore no i i do have a quest 2 which i hook up to my pc which allowed me to play half-life alex for example mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that that was my game of the year in 2020 uh, right on because it's it's just stunning absolutely stunning um and also terrifying in a and a game that somehow makes reloading a gun uh, an, a, like an actual event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, really you have to be good at it, right? <laughs> really good at it and just know that, you know, you, you're not going to have enough time to reload. It's not simply pressing R on your keyboard. <laughs> no, no, no. You've got to, like, yeah. go the old one. Put the it, old, it's just, just it, amazing. It, VR definitely opens up a lot of opportunities. I mean, it does. It was no, it's no surprise that the horror genre really took off quickly with uh, vr right no no although we did feature uh, a recent episode uh, uh, a vr game was basically warhammer um age of sigmar which you basically are a superhero in in the warhammer universe which is just amazing because you're just swinging a big sort of sword around and blasting everything into oblivion because that's what you do in warhammer age of sigmar well that's what the emperor demands right well it's not it's not it's not the emperor because it's like age of sigmar so it's like uh oh right okay it's the fantasy one so there's no but yeah so you're actually cool uh, you're working for sigmar himself because you know so it's all very fun and silly um but uh yeah it's a spectacle of a game absolute spectacle of a game but Speaking of spectacles, yeah, it's a nice segue. I like nice. You're welcome. You're welcome. That was good. (laughs) Let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone. First question isn't a question, it's a request. We can't really talk about uh, RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone until we know what it is. So, in your own words, Scott or Kevin or both of you, 
what is RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone? Kevin, take it away. Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone is a, um, it's a strategy RPG, and um, it's what we kind of call a, like a hero collector uh, RPG. So the idea there is that um, we have a bunch of heroes in the game, and you can summon them through uh, summoning scrolls. And they all have their each individual, you know, um, skills. And uh, the idea is that you assemble a team that you find really powerful. Uh, and you can progress them by doing stuff like getting gear for them. You can get talents, you know, you can um, do all the stuff that most traditional, uh, you know, team builder uh, or hero collector RPGs do. But the cool thing that we are trying to do with RPG Hero, Dice Heroes of Whitestone is that uh, we're trying to inject that real tabletop board game feel into it. We have a real board game play where you roll dice and your little token moves on a board and you land on a bunch of tiles. And whatever the tile is, that's the outcome. So we have stuff, stuff like treasure tiles. We have combat tiles. We have adventure tiles and uh, kind of like a little... Um, you get to choose, it, it, you're presented with a dilemma or a problem, and you get to choose a response, right? Um, we have journal tiles that fill in the little lore, the backstory of the world and stuff. And that all takes place over 10 boards that forms our campaign. And so um, we find that's pretty fun. We've never really, we've seen board rolling games before as, as mobile games, but never really ones that marry the concept of RPG uh, gameplay progression and uh, and this board game feel. And another cool thing that we've done is uh, you can actually have dice that you equip to your heroes. So whenever they perform their skills in battle, they actually roll dice out with them. So you equip a, a die to your skill, and when you use that skill, out comes the die with it. Um, we have like basic faces that just kind of do more damage or something like that, but the special faces of those die they actually enact special effects. So, and it's a way that you can actually customize your heroes. So if you have, for example, a hero that does like an AOE ability, it hits all the uh, all the, the enemies, right? If you roll a, if you equip a poison die to that AOE and it rolls the poison face up, you now poison all of the enemies that you hit with that ability. So it's a way that you can customize your build and it really opens up a crazy amount of possibilities, and we're we're really happy with that. And um, and so it's a, kind of a unique feel that we feel that uh, is a lot of fun. It certainly is. And uh, happily, though, the the dice aren't cruel, unlike a certain game beginning with letter B. Just saying, Scott. <laughs> just saying, Scott. Just just saying. Just <laughs> that game. Anyway, but no. And my first question relates to this because I do play a lot of tabletop games as well as as as, as video games. Uh, I don't really differentiate with the, just games. Pity sake, go over mm -hmm. yourselves. And I, my question is really this, and it's something related to another experience which we'll hopefully cross over with. But there was clearly heavy tabletop influence. I saw Talisman, a lot of Talisman there. I saw some mm -hmm. Gloomhaven. I saw some Descent. I saw um, just uh, those, I mean, those sort of like dungeon crawlers uh, with yeah. the dice and, you know, roll and move, you know, hero quest, you could argue it's it's in there. It's, it's, it's baked in. It's lovely. And I just want to ask, 
while tabletop games have fed into the, the influenced heavily into the experience that is RPG dice, uh, Heroes of Whitestone, how it's sort of fed into that. Where do you find the video game starts and the board game ends? Because there is aspects of it that couldn't be done on a on a on a board game, for example. But there's certainly sure. mechanics that. If you just talk us through that and how you've exploited, that's a horrible word, but explored the fact, I mean, I should say, that this is not a board game, although it has the mechanics of an underlying engine of a little bit of a board game. It isn't. How have you found, uh, you know, treading those lines? Yeah, so, yeah. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Kevin go into the details, but just one real high-level topic that I just want to just kind of broach is like yeah, that's, yeah. The art, that's the art form, right? Because... Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do here is you have to walk that line of familiarity where when someone picks this up, it has to have all the things people love about RPGs that they're currently playing on mobile or any medium, really. But you also have to have this wrapper where it's got this this feeling or this spirit, because every time the team is working on coming up with a new feature, the vision of this game is that, as you said, it's inspired by tabletop. So reminding ourselves of that and just almost saying it out loud at the beginning of a design session like all right everybody remember our wrapper is that we are we are inspired by a tabletop game that can help design the introduction to a feature or slight mechanics of it but as you said we're not just making a tabletop game that would be a very different experience than what you currently get with heroes of whitestone so again i'm gonna let kevin go into detail but that's kind of like the the high level vision when we were creating this game and that's the that's the trick that's the art form of blending the tabletop feel with the familiarity and all the different mechanics that you've come to expect in a robust mobile RPG. Yeah, um, he's exactly right. Like, um, I, I like to think of it as a lot of the, um, the kind of second-to-second -second or maybe minute-to-minute -minute gameplay elements are very similar to, like, a board game, but they're all in kind of pursu pursuit of more meta goals that are very much in the realm of video game and RPG design of long-term goals. Like I want to get this character to level 50. I'm going to put the best gear on them. I'm going to, you know, build a talent, uh, a, a build that's really like, I need this guy to be my tank and this other one's going to be my damage dealer. So I'm going to take all my damage gear, put it over there. All of those things are very heavy into RPG, you know, video game design. Um, but while you're doing that, in uh, like all, all every step along the way, we're trying to say, well, what is like the board game experience that can lead you there? You know, like for example, um, it was uh, a, a lot of this stuff is you know new to us, uh, meaning that there's not a lot of examples to draw from. There's not a lot of you know video game uh, board game like uh, hybrids out there. So one of the things that was really cool to us was um, when you uh, collect what we call Multanite. It's this little resource basically by just going around the board. That's a very board game type mechanic, you know, like you pass go or something like that, or it's just, you know, you're rewarded for just landing on tiles. Well, this one was, once you get enough of that, you get to craft a piece of gear out of your forge. And we were like, well, you know, it could just be a random, in, a random outcome like you get on every other game. But we realized, well, why aren't you rolling a die here? Why can't you just roll a die and see what you get? Because that's very, it, it's still random right? It still gets what we want, but it's all, it's way more on theme. 
And we right. think everyone will really like to, and respond well with that because now they're like, oh, you get to see here's the six results and you're going to roll the six sided die and whatever you roll, that's what you get. And uh, we thought that, wow, this stuff really works well together. And that's, you know, it, uh, a lot of stuff clicks like that. But it is something that we have to keep on reminding ourselves, like, OK, what would be the tabletop experience of this? You know, so. I mean, for me, when I first encountered this kind of clash of sort of genres was uh, and there's a relevance to this please bear with me is a uh, pinball fx so they took the pinball concept and went okay this pinball but what if you had a spacecraft flying right across your face when you're trying to hit the one and it's like yes because it's still pinball but they made the video game aspect of it and slapped it on going we can do this we can change things we can alter things we can change physics itself we can even alter gravity because it's a video game but happens to also be pinball and they it's the, true, yeah. yeah and it's just that for me you certainly have tapped into that um and i've played a lot of you know uh digital versions of role, of, of tabletop games so terra mystica or or terraforming Mars, or these sort of like these are very sort of popular board games, and they've been put into, and they they're very very um, sort of uh, faithful, if you like, to to slavishly almost to the original because they have to they're catering to a very specific audience of people like I want to play this game, but I'm just you know not, but I don't want to dilute. The experience of playing the board game. I just want to present it in a way that right. I don't have to clear away. But that's a very different genre. You're not doing that here. You are actually you're not having you know you're not emulating the existing board game. You're creating your own thing, and this is a strength. Right. This is a strength, I think. And you've definitely lent into that. And that's what what was my first question was about because that's what you've done. When I first saw your screenshot, I said oh, they've kind of made a version of Talisman, only not as dull. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and it's it's interesting too because if I could just for just to expand yeah, yeah, on that really yeah. quickly, it's not just about the physicality of a tabletop game. Like yeah. Kevin's right, you know, the dice rolling, the the board feels all very important. But another important aspect of tabletop gaming, and and Kevin hinted on this earlier when he was talking about player choice, is typically when you're playing a tabletop game, you have a lot of choice as a player. You know, you even, you even joked earlier about, you know, what do you want to do or, you know, how do you want to build your character? Or how do you want to you know, progress through this game? That's what these dice do in the game. Because as Kevin was pointing out, you have a hero that fits a certain stereotype, a certain role. But then you can really build those heroes to be exactly the type of team you want. And there are bad decisions you can make. There are average decisions and there are very good decisions. There's a ton of player choice and utility that you can do here. So it's not just the physicality of the board game. It's also making sure that we're giving players enough room and enough freedom for them to experiment. And I think that's something that keeps people wanting to play the game for more than just a little bit of time, because you're wondering in the back of your head, like, what else could I try? Like, I've been thinking about, I'm stuck at this fight, but I've got all these cool things that are in my toolbox that I can try, and I'm gonna experiment and see if I can create something special. So it's when all that comes together, you get you get something really neat, and I think we've done a good job with that. Yeah. Speaking of tools, I'm, this shows the segue heaven really is. Thanks, thanks Scott for just teeing that up. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about the dice and the cards because they are really well put together and designed, and they do complement the experience of the progression of adding stuff to the heroes that you 
you find and control and guide through. Can you talk us through the design of these and uh, how have you found making sure they are balanced to a point where they're not dreaded OP? Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the, um, the cards. Um, they, they went through quite a few iterations. Um, early on, we had the idea of a, a hand, like you could only fit five cards in your hand at one time. Um, and so uh, it was sort of a mechanic to say like, oh, got a new card, I have to choose one to discard or something like that. Um, after time, we just we really didn't feel like it was a, was a good way to play because every single role is a different, um, basically a different case. You can uh, you don't know what you need at any one time because every single time you roll on a board, your conditions change. And so we kind of felt that it was extremely limiting. It was really hard to choose. Uh, you're constantly you know fighting yourself on this. And we abandoned that concept and just started saying, look, you can have all cards at all times. They stack, and you can just play whatever you want. Um, and another hard thing was um, deciding how to treat them. Were they something rewarded all the time? Like you should get them all the, over the place? Should it be more of a premium concept? You know what I mean? Something that you should be is is sacred and you don't get very many of them they're treasure you should save them and use them when you really need to and so um we kind of viewed it as you know basically they're they relieve the board of the the nasty rng outcomes that can happen right and so um generally speaking if you didn't have cards you would just be completely at the mercy of the board of the, of the die you roll the die you move to where it says you move if you want to land on a very specific spot that's where the card comes in. And we feel that that is a really good um, you know, lever that you can pull to say like, look, I want to land on this one right now. I don't want to loop around the board again, or I want to land on this tile right here. And uh, where we feel that that really came into, um, it really started clicking was actually our events. Um, we designed our events such that um, if you don't use cards, it becomes, you can get pretty far into the event but using cards feels really good because it allows you to really maximize that uh, event. So uh, like you might only get, uh, we have this little uh, board called the uh, Loot Lagoon and it comes with four little loot goblins. And if you can kill all four of them, you get most of the loot. And the struggle there is that we designed it so that you can get about 50 to 75% of the way there without using cards. And so with really good play, though, you can actually get them all, but you have to get really lucky. But if you use the right cards, you can get them all all the time. And I felt that that really felt good by when you play that card, you get that, you know, you get that extra goblin. And it felt uh, we, that's where we landed and we're most happy is that the cards feel like whenever I use the cards, it feels good because I get exactly what I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, really well done. And we've already spoken about the, the dice as well and how they manipulate things and how they are unique to characters and they're owned by characters and they are used. And when they land on where you want them to land, they've got a special face. That, uh, like, yeah, that, that, that changes. But you, I suppose the balance aspect of it was, well, it is one in six chance of you getting that face. And that's it. Um, right. At least in theory. <laughs> uh, not necessarily, uh, because it, and I'll let Kevin go in with details. But yeah. this is where you get a lot of um, 
extra engagement and a lot of fun for players because when you get a a die that you really like, you can upgrade it. Oh, and true. as you start yeah. upgrading that die, it adds faces to it. And eventually that D6 can become like a D8 and then a D12. And so, I mean, you get to have a lot of fun with these things. And you get to, once you get a really good set of dice, mm. you can upgrade them to become very powerful. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Okay. Um, the next part I want to talk about is something that took me by surprise. I thought, well, this is an RPG, you know, and this is your quest for truth, justice, and better stuff, not in that order. But um, PvP exists in RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone. It's a, it's a thing. You can gather your party together and, 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 and uh, compete against the, the best of the best of the best and see who's the best of the best. Um, how, right. how have you found designing that experience alongside the PvE? Because every MMO, as far as I know, I mean, I've been playing WoW. I used to play WoW, and that was a, you know, that was a major aspect of, of the game. You know, competitive role playing and not role playing, um, you know, um, matches and capture the flag experiences and that kind of thing. How have you found designing these two very different experiences? So um, a lot of the uh, the, the focus goes into um, we started with a pretty sound uh, base for our uh, mechanics and our combat system, and we uh, developed a system where uh, we use um, uh, stat compete type formulas where it says the attacker's offensive stat should be kept in parity with the defender's defensive stat, and if it's not, then it starts to do greater or less damage depending on where you are in that relationship yeah and and so basically where we try to say is if everything is the same you're kind of you're always dealing relatively the same amount of of damage to them but if you start tooling your character to go a certain way for example if i load up on accuracy that makes sure that the things that i'm trying to do to you like so the debuffs that i'm trying to land on you will land more um reliably and so, but those are that that choice comes at the cost of other things that I gave up. I didn't, for example, maybe load up on defense, for example. And so, um, what we find is that is one of the hardest parts of this game is making sure that all of these things balance out. Because, like we've said over and over again, there's a lot of choice. There's a lot of really cool, powerful combinations, and we do have to keep uh, our eyes out for ones that become too strong. That's an ongoing endeavor. Uh, some things um, we actually have gotten ahead of the players on a couple of things because we're like, ooh, you know, they may not have progressed to this state yet, but we can see a problem coming at certain parts of like the end game, or, for example. And so we just start developing solutions around it. Um, we also thought when we were early testing the PvP system, uh, Scott can attest to this, we actually had a stun die in the game and whenever that that die rolled out everybody gets stunned and we looked at it and we're like yeah this is an extremely powerful die you know um it will take over the game if we actually release this game and then we've got a major problem there's no counter to it it's the strongest thing you can do and there's and everyone will do it and it's really boring and frustrating when it gets done to you and so you know we're always on the lookout for really strong awesome strategies that don't become dominant strategies if no right there is you don't you don't right. want to have one dominant strategy that everybody just has to do because 
that's not what this game's about. This game is very heavy into experimentation, and that's what keeps it fun and fresh. Because, like you said, you have to balance it with PVE. You know, not everybody wants to partake in PvP. So we've gone out of our way to design the system in a way that is a little bit more um, inclusive of players that will still love that experimentation and like solving that puzzle of like, how can I win or how can I do well in this mode? And so we've tried to be really careful with that. It's not just straight up competition where you just kind of beat your head against the wall and everyone knows what to do. You just have to do it. It's more of a proving grounds where you can just try out all these different theories and just kind of see which one sits to the top. And it's pretty fun. It is. I was really surprised to see it and I was really happy to see it. Because um, you could have just gone forward to one one row and go, okay, we're going to make this PVE experience like, you know. And it's, you have. You have done that. But you're adding this other aspect. It's, it, it could have gone all sorts of ways and one sort of overtaken the other, but you haven't. It's very impressive. Um, but uh, I can imagine it being a bit plate spinning y like. Oh, no, 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 not whack a mole. More my plates, it, <laughs> plates spinning. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll say that it's really fun to see what the players are doing. Yeah, because there's already been a few times where I'm like, wait, why are they using that hero? Oh, <laughs> oh we didn't account for that. Oh yeah. my god, that's really strong. Holy crap, I can't believe they figured that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we we are definitely surprised by our players a lot of the time. It's it's a lot of fun. Now, I'd, I'd love to expand more on the combat, but I want the listeners to experience it for themselves. It's a turn-based combat system that's got a lot of... It has ranks and a ranking of, you know, the people in the front, people in the back. It's got all that stuff. It's great. I'll let people explore that themselves because my last question is... I can't let you go without asking this because I was really blown away by the visual presentation of RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone. It's stunning really really is just pops out of my my phone screen i'm using a, a one of the later sort of iphones so it's one of the i think it's 13 for i don't know 14 something like that um yeah. i only got about a month ago uh and uh but even on the previous version of my phone i'm sure it would have done fine and it really you've done an incredible job of showcasing what these devices can now do um because I've really, we had to actually had a guest on recently where they were saying that they made a game for mobile and then they decided to port it onto onto the Switch, and they've had to dumb, they had to scale things down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like really, it's like yeah. Do you know that? It's like we've got to stop the processor's power is not there. It's a, that machine's five years old, is it? Oh yeah. You have to remind people of that. And when people play Breath of the Wild, like, why is the frame rate dropping? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> because, so... Well, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just really I want to get to the core of this, is that it seems to me, from the outset, you wanted to create a spectacle. Because it is. It really just throws itself. It doesn't, it's relentless. Um, not to the point where it induces, you know, nausea or something horrible like that. I'm just saying, sure. it's been... I get the impression it's been meticulously designed with just engaging the player and rewarding the player for interacting with it for its own, you know, sense of... It's just a, a delight to watch and experience. I'm just well, want to ask you... Super, super high praise. I mean, I, I really yeah. appreciate it. And it just it speaks to... You know, you, you, you use the word design, but I mm. want to make sure I'm clear here that, you know, this is something that our team will be thrilled to hear because... It's exactly as you say, like you, you even called out some of the words that they've used time and time again through this whole process of just 
really thinking about the player's experience, really thinking about feedback, thinking about that reward cycle that you feel when you win a fight or when you get a new awesome item or you win a match in PvP or, you know, every mode has its own little little like kicks that make you feel good about certain things in the game. And they've worked very, very hard to, as you said, meticulously plan all this out. And it's just it's really cool to hear that kind of praise because that's it's been a lot of hard work, but it was a labor of love. And I, I think it I think it turned out really, really good. It really shows. I think we got we got to thank Hearthstone a lot for that, if I may. They did a fantastic job of the mere act of opening a pack of cards. And it just made it this ridiculous thing would vibrate in front of the screen and it explode in a shower of sparks. And like, yeah. It's just some cards. Get over yourselves. But it isn't just a set of cards. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't a major event that you got a new set of cards. Granted, 90% of them were rubbish, but that's not the point. <laughs> point is, you've you've got a new set of cards, and there's that one that was really awesome, and now you're exactly. going to add, it, add yeah. it to your deck. But, um, no, I think if that was the intent, it worked. You, you the, the actual, to, to, to engage with the player and actually, you know, really show off. Because, like I said, uh, for me, uh, I, in ignorance, I'm embarrassed to admit, like, no, it's mobile games. I'll just play threes. Come on. That's what everyone does, right? Just play threes. And like, well, no, Chris. This this is what, not realising that the power of these machines are now ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, go on. there's a lot of new funding. I mean, mobile games have, have surged so much in recent years that... Um, I mean, that's where a hot ticket is. Everyone wants the, the best phone, the best, you know, the new stuff. They're coming out and they're more and more powerful every time. Um, and granted, now we're when we're working with this type of an audience that loves RPGs, you can generally expect that players that play these games are more interested in the, the more powerful machines and stuff. So that does let us get away with more things than what we were. Then, for example, threes will run on anything. It'll probably run on a toaster, right? Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but but this game we're like well we want to really push the boundaries a little bit more so we can kind of expect a little bit better of a min spec device yeah exactly and um you could also throw it up on a screen and stuff like that and it just really it's just yeah really it's the it's the lighting and the shading and the contrasts i mean you haven't done sega blue sky because that's sega's thing <laughs> that's what they do and they're great for it. We love them for it. But you know, it's 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 definitely it just feeds into that sort of sensibility of you know, let's just celebrate you playing a game. Why not? Why do we have to, you know, apologise? Shouldn't this is like the, your, your, this is a moment on on the tube for for ten minutes before you get off yeah. and then and then well, fight through the barriers. There, there's a lot of marriage of game design and, and art, um, specifically in little things like our, our summoning sequence. Um, there was many meetings and many, many you know, uh, wireframes and all this stuff put together for the simple act of a little scroll pops out. And you tap it, you open up and you get a hero. Oh, God, there's yeah. a bunch of little steps in between. And all of it is really designed very specifically to kind of like whet your appetite you want more like that was fun i like yeah. opening that that was cool yeah. oh man i got a really rare one like when those moments happen you want it to be extra special and if we just go Poo, pop pop confetti every single time you open it no matter what it doesn't have the same impact so no. yeah it's, 
it's really fun to see how those things can complement each other. Yeah. Well, RPG Dice Heroes of Whitestone is the, developed by uh, Wemo Games and uh, is available now on what platforms? It's on um, iOS and uh, Android devices. It is, it is indeed. I, I used to read those out before, but I got in trouble once by announcing a platform I ought not have done. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I had to edit it out after. It's most amusing. But um, Scott and Kevin, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Likewise, um, thank you very much. You're more than welcome to come back to chat about whatever next you've got coming up i've no idea what it would be but um all sorts of really good mysterious things so maybe we'll take you up on that (laughs) yeah we've uh and um but until then thank you very much excellent thank you so much for having us bye now you have been listening to the sausage factory podcast part of the cane and rinse collective support us for just two us dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts find us on twitter facebook instagram twitch youtube and at our website cane and rinse.com <laughs>